This is Tales from the Quarantine. Okay, uh, welcome to uh, Tales uh, from the Quarantine. Today, my guest is probably the only person so far that's actually been physically in quarantine. Uh, he, uh, oh, he uh, was traveling up from the U.S. not too long ago and had to spend two weeks in mandatory isolation. Yep. <laughs> welcome to the podcast, a uh, friend of mine who I met years ago, uh, Josh. Welcome. Thank you very much, Sean. Good to be here. Yeah. Uh, I do apologize for anyone. My dog is underneath my computer table, so you might hear barking or uh, knocking on the microphone. But uh, yeah, so you you came back from the U.S. What what were you doing down there? Um, I was actually there uh, doing farrier school, so like uh, learning to shoe and uh, trim horses. And um, kind of the the coronavirus thing had barely just begun in uh, in China and. It was still at the time when everyone's like, oh, like it's, you know, it'll be over before it gets here. Like it's not going to really affect us. And, um, you know, I was excited to go. So I headed down and uh, four weeks later, uh, that all changed very drastically. <laughs> yeah, kind of uh, all of a sudden everything switched around March 14th. How long after that time, like March 14th, did you stay in the U.S.? Because I know everything started to really change at around that date. Yeah. Um, I was there about another another two weeks after that. So when when the first confirmed cases in North America were happening, they were you know in major metropolitan areas. Like you know that's when uh, New York hadn't become like the center that it is now. Um, but you know they were starting to talk about restricting air travel, and kind of from the federal government they were hinting like okay like if you're abroad maybe this is the time to start thinking about coming home. And then about a week after that was when the first announcement came over that, like, if you're a Canadian citizen outside of the country, we strongly suggest that you make your way home now. So I called the um, the U.S. consulate in uh, Dallas, Texas, and I said, hey, like, uh, I'm a Canadian citizen. I'm down here on a student visa. I'm going to school. Uh, you know, what should I do? Are they going to close the border down? Am I going to be able to get home? Like, I, I need to make arrangements. Um and then uh, they said, well, where are you? And I said, well, I'm in this isolated county in Oklahoma. Uh, we're a satellite campus. Like, there's nothing around us. Um, we work with animals all day. Uh, we see the same 14 people day in and day out. They live in the same area that we do, like, the same, basically the same property. And uh, the, the consulate um, member was basically said, like, well, it's safer for you to stay there for the time being than to drive through, you know, 3,500 miles of infected U.S. and I would have to skirt, you know, New York, Pennsylvania, um, and then do a major border crossing. So at that time, I stayed there, and then uh, sure enough, five days later, um, the school was closed um, by the Oklahoma Private School Board, and uh, they're like, "You guys have 72 hours." <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> And you guys have 72 hours to uh, make arrangements and then to make your way home because they limited them to having only two students in the classroom and the school thought it best just to reimburse us the remaining funds that were left on our tuition and then for us to safely head home. Yeah, how? that's, uh, I guess that's good for, on your part because you got a family back home, so they probably were yeah. excited to have you back. And yeah. It was uh, it, it was hard being uh, living in a horse trailer for uh, 
for two weeks, um, knowing that my year and a half old didn't understand why I couldn't see him or touch him. But you know, he didn't he didn't know I was there, right? Like we were still FaceTiming over the um, over our phones. He didn't physically know that I was less than 300 feet away on another property, living in a horse trailer. But I knew that I was that far away, and it, it was it was hard. Yeah, so you self-isolated yourself due to the mandatory quarantine of all returning travelers, international travelers yeah. of uh, 14 days, and you you quarantined yourself in a horse trailer. What, like, how was that? How was that experience for you? Um, it was it was a lot like uh, it was a lot like living in the tents that we lived in in the army. Honestly, <laughs> it was like being CB to base because. Um, like we have a, we have a decent, uh, living quarter trailer. It's got, uh, you know, bathroom, uh, it's got a, uh, gas range stove in it, you know, a bed, a fold out couch, that kind of thing. So, um, like I had all the normal amenities that you would, that you would have, but just condensed into a 14 foot area. But, um, you know, I did, I, when I got to the border, they briefed me on, um, the self-isolation routine, you know, don't make any stops on your way home. And and as I was driving through the states, I wasn't making any stops. I was eating canned beans, <laughs> um, cold on the way home. You know, I had three cases of water with me in the truck. Um, you know, I was doing the old uh, poo bucket routine like we used to do in the Arctic exercises. Like, I I didn't I didn't want to chance it that even after my 14 day quarantine that I was going to bring something home to my family. So, I I I lived like. Uh, I don't know. I just I lived out of that truck for the two days it took me to drive home, and um, uh, I didn't stop anywhere except for fuel. And then I had um, an N100 mask. I had four boxes of uh, um, nitrile gloves, and you know, you know the 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 training that we had in the army. Like we actually, you know, learned how to use gloves properly and not contaminate other things. So you know, you don't realize it, but you know fueling a vehicle it takes three pairs of gloves to do that without contaminating the last set that you had on so you know um but you know i got home uh moved into the trailer um and the trailer's got a back compartment where the horses are my wife would drop all my groceries off in there and then i would walk through the back end of the trailer the escape door to get the groceries and then move them back into the trailer so so you had a fairly comfortable and easy way to isolate yourself from your family which was okay i guess is a bit of a plus yeah it, it was it was nice in that ex, that aspect whereas um like i know some people uh a couple of the people on my course that were from texas um texas was doing the mandatory uh 14 day quarantine when returning from other states and yeah you know, they were just living in their bedrooms um but uh you know if they had abroad so they didn't fortunately enough bring anything back with them but if they had that would have been very hard to keep that kind of sanitary condition where they're not infecting the other people in the house because they're still using the same facilities as the rest of their family. Yeah, I've uh, I know people who have roommates and they've been directed if you think you're infected is to separate yourself from them as much as possible. Which, when you're living in a house or an apartment, it's it's impossible. Oh yeah, like you're using you're, the same doorknobs. Well, you're breathing yeah. the same air. Exactly. So, like unless it's not recirculated air, it's like, if you cough, it's getting all over the house eventually. But well, that's that's you got you were a fair bit lucky that you had the trailer. So yeah, well, I, I definitely was. It was it was nice, you know. I literally just hooked up to it when I got back to the farm with the truck, pulled it over alongside of the 
father-in-law's shop. He already had um, the power source um, exposed, so I plugged in, hooked the water up, and got inside the trailer. <laughs> that was about it. Now, how did you keep yourself sane for the 14 days? Um, a lot of Netflix. Uh, I watched Tiger King, which I'm sure is the is the, the uh, shining light in this dim apocalypse that everyone is talking about. But I, I watched that and uh, I caught, just caught up on reading material. Uh, really um, had all my magazines dropped off, so I was just reading horse magazines and and uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know, there wasn't a whole lot to do. I, I I think I rolled my saddle like three times just for something to do. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, you gotta keep the brain busy, and that's exactly. what's going can only cover so much of that. Yeah. So now, since you, you've been out for a week, you've been out like all primo exactly a week. Uh, you've yep. been out of quarantine. How, uh, how's it been reunited with your family? Awesome. Um, my, uh, my son only being, uh, he's, he's a year and, and, and five months. So, um, he, he played a little bit strange at the start. Not, not like he hid from me, but it was like almost, um, almost like he didn't want to acknowledge that I was there because it was different because he wasn't seeing me over the phone. Um, yeah. But uh, he's back to normal now. Um, and it certainly is is strange. I think like my course was set to run two weeks longer anyway before it got canceled. But I think the weirdest part was being, you know being that close to my family without being able to physically see and touch and talk to them. Um, so that kind of made it more alienated, if that makes sense. Like it's, it was almost like, uh, you know, when, when we did decompression and, uh, you know, when we left Afghanistan and you're like, you're kind of back in civilization, but it doesn't seem like it's real because you're not quite home yet. And it had very much that feeling to it where you're so far separated and you know you're doing the right thing, but it almost seems harder than if you had it just stayed. So it was kind of a... I would have rather just finished the course. Um, uh, but it still would have... My, my, like my quarantine timer wouldn't have um, been any shorter. It just... I don't know. It just seemed... It would have been easier that way somehow. Yeah. Well, you, you would have been in quarantine now if you had finished the oh, course. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely would have been. <laughs> but... Uh... Are they uh, crediting you for that course, or do you have to go back and finish those two weeks? Uh, I have to go back and finish those two weeks, which I'm not upset about. It was a great program um, with great instructors, and I'm I'm actually looking forward to going back. But um, with the current timetable, it looks like maybe like the fall or winter will be the earliest that uh, that's a possibility that it'll happen. Um, I know everyone's got bright projections for this, but uh, yeah, Florida yeah. just opened up their beaches again, and Texas is already planning on opening up uh, some of their economy, which I think is a bit foolish. But uh... it might be jumping the gun just a little bit. Oh well, um, yes. <laughs> now, um, one thing that, and uh, um, I, I think you've known me long enough. I'm not a super political person, um, yeah. but everyone's been kind of throwing mud in the political arena about who did what the best and what government took the best precautions and. The stuff that we're just starting to see now in um, Canada, um, the U.S. was doing four weeks ago when I was there, when this, the pandemic was starting. Like they were, they were already doing the lineups. They were already like, I went into Walmart at the start of this thing um, before any restrictions were happening, and the area that I was in in Oklahoma had zero confirmed cases. 
and they have employees in like paint suits um, with chemical sprayers spraying down um, shopping carts with bleach that were 15 rows deep in before customers even got a hold of them so that they were sitting there for three to five minutes soaked in disinfectant. And then when you came out with your cart, they handed it to you with gloves on. And then there was those like big pull tab things where you pull um, like Lysol wipes out and then you could wipe the cart down again if you wanted to. And they had closed down all of the um, assisted checkout lanes and they were sanitizing the self-checkout lanes every single time and then waiting a minute before the next person where the, that disinfectant sat there. But we saw that four weeks ago in Oklahoma. Um, but And I often wondered why, like, when we finally left Oklahoma, like, when they shut the school down and said, you guys have 72 hours to make arrangements, they had their first confirmed case where everywhere around us, all the other states had, you know, they were anywhere from 17 to 170 cases. But I, I often wonder if, because they went right from zero to this is happening and we need to do this right off the bat, they seem to be a month ahead of everything else like the the sneeze shields and stuff like that that we're just starting to see in like your convenience stores and stuff those were already up when they were doing the social distancing in oklahoma it was one of the first things that were in place yeah like i've said this before i'm uh the grocery getter for my family i've the first lineup i got in was probably about two two and a half weeks ago and uh before then i saw they were putting up uh, plexiglass around the checkouts yeah, and uh, some grocery stores have implemented mandatory carts so that everyone had to have a cart to maintain that distance. Yeah, which I think was a good idea. Um, Definitely. The the one thing that I think everyone was lacking, at least in North America, was the uh, everyone. If you're out, you should wear a mask because that will help minimize if you are infected and you don't know it, the spread of the uh, you know the if your cough or sneeze or. You know, speak moistly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not, that's never going to go away. No, and you can see the prime minister instantly regretted saying that right after. But oh, oh yeah, as soon as it came out of his mouth, he's like, "I'm a meme now." But uh, if you know, just wear a mask; it'll help prevent that the the spread of the water particulate in the air. Yeah, and um, like I, I don't know if you see that that table that I shared about the effectiveness of each different type of mask. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, I don't need to wear a mask because I'm not sick. But that's the whole point that I was in quarantine for 14 days is I didn't know if I was sick. Yeah. Like, I, thankfully, I'm not sick. I'm healthy. Uh, you know, I'm back with my family. And but the thing is, like, it's to protect other people from, like, that curve getting heavier and heavier and heavier because... People are continuing to roam around without the protection on. The mask isn't going to protect you as a healthy person. Well, like, like, I shouldn't say that. It will to an extent. If someone coughed while talking to you and you had your mouth open because you were breathing or talking to them and you got it directly yeah. in because obviously the glands in our mouths are far more sensitive to picking things up than our skin is. But um, I carry an N100 mask with me everywhere in my truck and I wear it when I go into places um, just because if there is a small chance and, and you know, I, I'm not a doctor. I, I don't have any experience in this, but if someone's already got a cold, which is airborne, but they're carrying the virus as well, 
Mm-hmm. Can I can I piggyback? I'm not going to take that risk to bring it home to my my you know year and a half old. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, well they they found that a large chunk of people are asymptomatic, mm-hmm. which means that they don't know they're sick, but they're still contagious. And exactly. If they get a cold, which is hopefully the social distancing has been putting a dent in the spread of cold and flu, which I believe Health Canada has said it has. Mm-hmm. But uh, even if it's not. Um, like wearing a mask. If you have a cold, you're gonna be coughing. If you're a smoker, you're probably gonna be coughing. Yeah. Well, um, as I said, I, I've smoked for ten years. I haven't smoked in in five years now. I still cough all the time when I wake up in the morning. Yeah, yeah, because your lungs have been affected by you know smoking. Well, you, and, you watched you watched me chain smoke a pack and a half a day. So like you know how much yeah. I used to smoke. Yeah, and that was that was back when you could get those cheap American cigarettes or those cheap Chinese cigarettes from the market. Uh, British. <laughs> I, I smoke I the British starts, but yeah. Oh, okay, but I, I know too many people who got the, got yeah. the oh, yeah. cigarettes from the bazaar. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and it's like people cough for whatever reason, throat irritation, or whatever. If you wear a mask, that cough like is not going to go like a fraction as far as it would if you weren't wearing a mask. Exactly. Because it is it is allergy season. If you sneeze, it's not going to go nearly as far. You might not even leave the mask. Yeah. Depending on what you make it out of. Um, so, yeah, wear a mask. Like, I, I, I wear a mask when I go out, like, now, because I, one, I, I work still, um, and I don't want to risk a breathing someone else's uh, moistly spoken moisture <laughs> <laughs> and uh or if i'm asymptomatic i don't want to risk infecting others exactly well, and you know what um i kind of get when i first saw it i kind of giggled just because it was such a it was such an uh, almost an army thing where i saw people using the doggy doo-doo bags to pump their gas oh i use but those you, you know what? I, I went the way before I left. I went to the Dollar General, which they were only allowing one customer in at a time, and they're following the customer around. If they picked anything up and put it back on the shelf, it, they just put it right in the trash. Which you know, it sucks for the whatever item that was that they're losing that. But there's zero chance of that being infected now because it's not on the shelf anymore. Yeah. But um, I picked up the doggy doo doo bags and I used them um, because I saved my gloves um well because we were talking earlier about like i'd go through three sets of gloves um i saved the gloves for when i you know absolutely had to enter a building somewhere um and i used the doggy duty bags to uh to pump my gas and to open my doors and stuff and then but you know and if i went through 10 of them in a sitting just because every different thing i touched i put another one on my hand um you know what am i out nine cents yeah they're like i went out uh, I had a full bag of uh, those bags, and I went and bought another pack from uh, the Dollarama, just because one my my dog still has to go outside and use the bathroom. Yeah, and I have a yard that my kids like to play in, so want to keep that clean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I uh, I've been using them to pump my gas because one, like everyone had like a lot of people are still driving around for some reason. Um, we occasionally take the kids out for a drive, but I filled my truck up once in two weeks. So yeah. that's, um, but there's people that drive around, they fill their vehicles up a lot and it's a vector of transmission. 
Like if they're if they have infection on their hands, they touch the uh, the pump. Now, if you don't clean your your hands, you're screwed. Or if you don't have a barrier, and then clean your hands afterwards. Always clean your hands when you take off gloves or barrier protection because you no, never definitely. know, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I've been using those bags to uh, do that, and it's you know it, it makes you look weird, but I'd rather look weird than you know, get infected and then be intubated at some future point. And, you know, I, I thought was really, uh, like, quite tragic, um, just, to, like, of what this hysteria has done. Like, everybody's heard about, like, the, you know, all the bread being gone and all the, the, the milk and the canned goods and, and stuff like that. Um, when, when I was in Walmart, um, I wanted to pick up a can of the spray lice, all disinfectant, um, just so that I could keep up with, like, when I get out of the truck at the end of the day, um, as well as sanitizing myself, I was spraying all the door handles, um, all the controls inside the truck and the steering wheel, and just letting it sit there overnight. Um, and then so I call in the back seat in my sleeping bag, sleep, um, and uh, just so that in the morning, everything had a time to, like, really deep soak and, and stuff. But when I went into the Walmart before I started my journey home, uh, again, I'm wearing a mask. I look like a weirdo. I, I didn't have nitrile gloves yet. I've got doggy doo-doo bags on my hands. Um, but uh, I went over to the cleaning section, and everyone had bought all the household stuff, but all the kitchen and bath stuff was still there. And I, th I thought to myself, I'm like, that's weird. Like, Why would you not want the bathroom level cleaner that cleans up human waste? Why would you want the general cleaner that you just clean doorknobs with? Like, I, I feel like the bathroom stuff is a little bit more heavy duty anyway, and if you want to, if you really want to make sure that something's dead, then you use the bathroom cleaner on. So that's what I did, and uh, even like um, all the hand sanitizer was gone, but the foaming hand sanitizer soap was still there in large quantities. And I thought most families would probably would have benefited from that because it's easier to get kids to use it when you can just foam it onto their hands and then you can see that they've covered their hands in it. Where like, how many times have you gone into the mess hall and went to push the, the Purell thing and it just slides off your hands so you only get like, you know, enough to cover a water bottle lid that doesn't get half your hands on. So like, uh, I felt like those products probably would have been better, but they were the ones that were left on the shelves. Whereas all the other stuff, which probably should have gone to um, medical professionals or people that are working all the time where they need that concentrated stuff, that was all the stuff that was taken. Yeah, I, I noticed that too, but I didn't notice it uh, in, with that regards because I didn't go into the Walmart right away. But I noticed like rubbing alcohol and hand sanitizer uh, were gone, but uh, and hand soap was gone, but dish soap was still stocked. Yeah, and I use dish soap to make foaming hand soap. Exactly, it's cheaper <laughs> than buying foaming hand soap, um, and it's the same stuff. And I noticed that a lot of stuff that you think would have been gone was still on the shelves, but toilet paper was gone. And yeah, um, I just actually did a trip out this week because I had to pick up some art supplies for my kids and they had, uh, they had a lot of toilet paper. <laughs> so the toilet paper is back in stock. <laughs> yeah. So all those people that need to uh, have been wiping their ass with uh, leaves can go out and, you know, buy some toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave the little chihuahuas alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, and it's uh, 
but like just the idea of like people like were what they were buying and when they were buying it was it was a little odd to me um mainly because like it didn't seem like they were thinking about what they were buying yeah just because the person in front of them was buying it in mass like um like oh my my mother called the other day she wanted to facetime with colt uh and they live about an hour and a half north of us so um they like to FaceTime as much as they can because this is, you know, this is kind of an unprecedented time and they can't see their grandson right now. So, but she was like, oh, yeah, just like I really wish that like healthier food was more available in a time like this. And I said, I don't, I don't think that it's not available. I just think people aren't buying it. When I went into the Walmart in Oklahoma when this first started, like when everyone was kind of still making jokes about it, like it's not going to be that bad. But people are warning that like, you know, restrictions are coming. <clears throat> all the stuff was sold out in Walmart. Like you couldn't, if it was frozen, had sugar in it, or um, you know, it was milk or toilet paper. No matter what it was, soap. It was all sold out, and so was all the Advil and the Tylenol and cough medicine. But you walk into the front of Walmart, and every single um, shelf and aisle that's got. Uh, fresh produce on it was fully stocked there wasn't a single one missing out of the orange pyramid at the front of walmart yeah i found the opposite here when i went grocery shopping that it was the people were going to get the fresh food but they weren't going to get the uh like the shelf stable food like pasta and canned goods yeah. which i thought was a little bit short-sighted because yeah, that seems like the opposite of like what you'd want to have in your in your cupboards yeah because you never, you don't know. Like we, we found out that you know the supply system is being stressed, almost to the breaking point, right? Yeah. And with like people wanting fresh produce, which I get it, I, fresh produce is preferable. But if you can go buy frozen produce and keep it for months, it just makes yeah. more sense to me in a situation like this that you'd want more shelf stable or frozen foods. But I think that has a lot to do with like the background that we've come from too, where we're taught to prepare for an indeterminate amount of time where most people just have that, you know, that 18 second commercial break mentality where, okay, this is, this is going to blow over and I'm going to be back to softball by spring. So I don't yeah, really need to worry about it. Yeah. People are, people are used to the three day resupply. Yeah. Most people don't buy groceries for a week. Uh, most of them buy groceries for the next three days. So they, people are probably ha are having a hard time getting over that aspect of three-day resupply where, well, you know, sometimes you might go a week without uh, getting anything other than crappy food. Yeah. So, well, and that, that was the nice thing about me and my wife is like, because we do the, like we do the Ontario version of ranching. Like we, you know, we raise livestock and, and horses and things like that. We live a fairly busy lifestyle where um, from sunup to sundown, we're usually doing something at the farm um, or at least that business related. Um, and uh, we we usually buy for two weeks in advance. So my when, my when this is going on, my wife called me and she said, I trust your judgment, what do I buy? So I wrote her up a list and emailed it off to her. And um, we haven't been to the grocery store in four weeks now. Like since since before I got back, um, sh we haven't been uh, to the grocery store. But yeah. uh, I made sure that I'm like, this is what you need to stock up. And she's like, well, what about toilet paper? And I'm like, you don't need that much toilet paper. 
Like I would far prefer you have pasta, um, frozen fruits and vegetables and canned goods that we can make into everything else that you would normally have to buy that is perishable than you going out and buying a bunch of toilet paper that like it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, especially since once the, the toilet paper uh, fad was early on in this uh, panicking. So, like, as I said, like, it's been resupplied. There's there's toilet paper on the shelves now. You just need it maybe to buy an extra pack because you're probably spending more time at home for the average person. Exactly. Um, like, I, I did the math for me. Like, we, we prefer the, the Kirkland brand toilet paper because it's, yeah, it's cheaper yeah. if you do the math. And we, we go through uh, a single pack of that a week between four people because my kids like to use a lot of toilet paper for whatever reason because they're kids <laughs> yeah yeah and uh but we have the two bathrooms so there's a pack in each bathroom so it makes it two weeks which is nice so like we had my mother-in-law go and buy us a pack of uh kirkland toilet paper when she went to costco and yeah we're we're set for like the next month and a half two months yeah <laughs> But uh, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, they buy the small three pack or the small or the, the six pack. And that's what they try and live off of, which is kind of weird. But, uh, yeah. No, it's, uh, um, you know, I really, I hope this doesn't get as bad as some people are saying. And I know it's not going to be over as soon as some people are hoping it's going to be over. Um I just, you know, I, I didn't think we would see something uh, like, you know, like, well, you remember SARS when we were growing up and yeah. H1N1 and um, you know, the flurry of other smaller pandemics that have kind of popped up. Um, but just the, the panic that this has um, started and the stress it put on our system really, I think, was a wake up call for a lot of people that something needs to change in our manufacturing and distribution centers like um, the cow market, for instance, right now, like we, you know, um, we have cow calf, we raise for beef, the beef price at market has dropped massively. But in the next two weeks, the consumer is going to see a massive um, increase in price for um, packaged beef on the shelf. But it doesn't make sense because they're buying it for half the price that they were buying it for live at the uh, marketplace. But the trucks are still rolling. Nothing has changed. And the demand hasn't changed. People are still eating the same amount of beef as they were when the pandemic started. But for some reason, somewhere in the supply chain, um, you know, someone has seen this as an advantage to make another buck. Yeah, that's why uh, we are going to be purchasing directly from a butcher shop. Yeah. Because they buy it directly from the, the farm. They butcher yep. it, they age it, and then they sell it to you, packaged up whatever you want. So that's that's the way we're going. Um, it's also better beef, better than a lot of the uh, store bought beef. Yeah, oh yeah, I, I I can tell you, I can tell the difference. We um, we have a guy that uh, we have a butcher that butchers um, usually about one cow a year for us, and I can tell the difference between our beef that's grazed on our property and we feed it from the day it's born to you know, the day it's cold, and uh, I can tell the difference um, in the quality of that meat and even just the nutritional value when you're eating it. You just, like, the next day you will feel a little bit different. Like, you know, you get that, like, kind of that, um, that kind of, like, I don't know, like, distilled 
feeling when you eat like McDonald's beef, where it's like how much of this was cardboard? Yeah. When you get a opposed to when you get a good cut of beef, and then you maybe get it put into hamburger, and then you make that into a burger, like it really fills you, and you like you're like I don't even need a bun on this. Well, you just look at a lot of store-bought beef, a lot of like the heavily corn-fed beef versus something that you get from a butcher shop. And you just look at the color of the meat and how much fat's in the meat. And it's just, it's, it looks like two different animals. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, We were talking about the, uh, the stress on the, um, the distribution system earlier. And uh, I forgot to bring this up when I was on the way back um, from Oklahoma um, I must. I think I've seen five or six um, big rigs um, where the tractors had been removed, or sorry, the trailers had been removed, but the tractors were still there, where they had gone through the median line and so in between the two parts of the interstate and then rolled over, um, and then construction crews were uh, in the process of extricating what was left of the tractor after the crash. But on the way down... Um, when I drove the same routes, I only saw one um, semi-accident where, you know, the same distance, the same roads. Um, I wonder how much of that uh, was due to the stress that was put on the distribution um, system because, you know, that seems like a large jump just to be, be too much of a coincidence that there was, you know, five semi-crashes. And I noticed a lot of the turnoffs, like rest areas, were like overflowing out under the highway where guys were pulled over sleeping in the rigs because they were trying to make that extra um, extra run and that all of the way stations had been closed. They had vehicles parked at either end of them and it just said way station waved, continue on. Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that people are buying a lot more uh, than normal. Um, so the demand to push more product to the stores is up and uh, like you're putting a lot of stress on these truck drivers because of that. And yeah. all like those guys are working really hard and under really tough conditions right now because a lot of the, a lot of truck stops are closed with uh, like the bathroom facilities, the shower oh, facilities. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And a lot of like a lot of places like takeout food is drive through only. So they can't get like what they regularly eat, and you just gotta you gotta commend those guys for putting up with the well, not putting up with it, but uh, dealing with it and uh, powering through. I, I couldn't imagine like some of the some of the places I pulled over just to um, you know. So um, oh, we hadn't really talked about this. But I bought four horses back from the U.S. with me when I came, and that added a lot of logistical challenges trying to drive through the u.s during a pandemic with four horses on the back of my trailer um but uh when i pulled off into rest stops to just uh feed and water the horses um some of the guys you know just slumped against their trucks you know just like leaning against the 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 back having a smoke or something like that and like you know no one was standing around talking to each other they just had all that like that dull look and like you know you know, you and me have drove some some pretty nasty roads together in some long <laughs> hours, but uh, like you know, imagine that over and over and over again. And like you said, without everything being shut down, it's not like you have a safe port to go to. Um, I, I do have to commend when I was um, when I was in Michigan, uh, uh, about to hit the border, there was a McDonald's and there was um, 
uh, and a, a McDonald's attendant standing at the side, and it said "truckers welcome." And they had one of the mobile headsets outside, and they were doing the orders, and then they were walking them out, and they had a table set up that they could put the food on. The trucker could get out and get the food. So um, it was nice to see that. And, I, and I've kind of seen things all over Facebook where you know they, they've allowed um, you know set up special arrangements for people. Uh, like, like truckers that they could come in and, and kind of, uh, you know, get those, you know, well, really necessities of being on the road, food in a bathroom. Um, yeah. But uh, it was nice to see that someone was doing something like that because, you know, it's it's horrible to hear the stories where, like, these guys are, you know, the men or women um, are trying to walk through, you know, Tim Hortons or McDonald's drive throughs and are being told no. And, uh, um, they're like, oh, well, you have to prove that you're a trucker. He's like, I just, I just got out of that big grade right there. Like, why on earth would I be walking through a drive-thru if I didn't have to? Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I know Tim Hortons was planning on opening up uh, their their counters again for for truckers, I believe. Yeah. But I'm not sure how that went. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're doing a tough job right now, making sure we all have food and supplies and stores to buy. Exactly. Well, I think that's a good point to end it. Thank you for coming on. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Stay safe. You too, brother. Okay, everybody. Stay home. Stay healthy.